This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan. And if I can pronounce words properly, we are going to have a podcast. What podcast is that, you ask? It is, of course, the Crowncast. Uh, And there is a big, long story about that introduction (laughs) that all of you, dear (laughs) listeners, will never know unless you find us on the street. If you find myself or you find my uh, ever-present co-host, Justin, who I will introduce in a moment... Uh, on the street, you can ask about that story, and we will tell it to you, but you, you have to find us. And uh, here to definitely make good on that promise with me is the man I just talked about, Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. How's it going? Uh, it is going really well, and you know, I already made a comment about this, but you've just recently gotten a haircut. Yes. You've recently trimmed it all up. Yes. You look good. Oh, I appreciate you that. You look it's, like an upstanding member. to go into this busy season of the off-season, the World Cup, everything like that, looking your best. You look good. It's good to see it. We do have some stuff for you today. It is going to be your regular Wednesday cast. And uh, we're going to talk team news. Yeah. And regularly, I let you do the team news. So today, I'm going to do the exact same thing and ask you to do the team news. Sure. Uh, We talked over the last couple of podcasts about the upcoming expansion draft. St. Louis SC is in the league. They've got their their players. None of those players uh, are Charlotte FC players. The list may be a little surprising when it came out. Players like Guzman Carujo and Andre Shinyashiki not protected by the team going into that expansion draft. I was a little surprised to see that. Luckily, none of them were taken. I think it probably bears remembering that St. Louis didn't necessarily have a lot of international slots left. Both of those players would have potentially taken up those slots. Carujo coming back from the ACL injury, probably a little bit concerning. They also kind of went youth Um so they've made their picks. Uh, we've also had uh, a couple of uh, updates in terms of the roster decisions that have been made for Charlotte FC as we move towards next season. Logan? Uh, yeah, so first one I'm going to talk about is there have been some player departures. And uh, the one that kind of surprised us both, or I think maybe didn't surprise me as much, was Quinn McNeil. Uh, Quinn McNeil, no longer a Charlotte FC player. And... This is a guy who got relied on in the first season of of this team. I mean, he was in there for significant minutes, playing the the role that connected the team from defense to offense. He was the box-to-box guy. And not only was he the box-to-box guy, he was the one that kind of got continuously pushed into the role even when there were other options, right? Um, So... Quinn McNeil no longer with us. Justin, you have thoughts on, on Quinn's departure? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly pretty surprised by it simply because I feel like he was, like he said, relied upon by Christian Latanzio. I think um, he, he, we'll talk a little bit more about maybe is there a little bit of a shifting style in this team and, and did that maybe factor into this? But when we were playing a very possession-based style and we were looking for that eight, like you said, to play the box-to-box and to ferry the ball and you know, help break up play when Bronica's at the six and things. Um, Quinn McNeil was trusted to do that work, uh, you know, thrust sort of into the spotlight with that Montreal game. But but after that, really seemed like he had impressed Christian Latanzio. And so I'm a little surprised to see his uh, contract option not picked up for next year. Yeah, I mean, even if it was just a sort of a backup, um, you know, somebody that was at least trusted. But Either way, uh, Quinn McNeil, no longer a member of Charlotte FC. Another one who is no longer a member of Charlotte FC is Coa Santos. Uh, Justin, you want to talk about Coa Santos? I mean, again, he's a guy who came in and, and kind of did what was needed when he was needed. But I think the only times I really saw him were, again, that Montreal game were decimated by COVID, uh, some of the U.S. Open matches like Greenville. Um, he played all over the pitch when he got called up. But, you know, he wasn't really getting a ton of minutes either for, for Charlotte Independence. I can't say I'm horribly surprised by by seeing Coa Santos go. Yeah, no, not something that that terribly surprises me either. I mean, I think good servant of the club. Same with Quinn, uh, another good servant of the club who will no longer be with us, Harrison Awful. And uh, do you want to talk Harrison Awful, or should I talk Harrison Awful? So to to clarify, this is an option that was not picked up a while ago, same time Christian Fuchs' option wasn't picked up, but but there had been some conversation that may be a new contract would be offered to Harrison Awful. And it does seem like now that's not going to happen. Harrison's going to move on. He's 36. I don't know if moving on from here means moving elsewhere in the MLS, dropping down a league, or maybe just moving towards retirement. I'm not sure. Whatever it 
you know, happens. Uh, I wish Harrison the best in whatever uh, happens to him going forward, whatever he chooses to do. I'm not horribly upset to see him leave Charlotte FC, though, for the future of this club. Yeah, um, Harrison Awful, uh, like you said, 36 years old. Uh, whether it is that he, he goes on and you know spends time with his family, whether it is that he goes on and, and tries to play at another team, whatever he chooses to do with his time, I don't think he was the long-term future of the club in anyone's immediate imagination. No. Um, the simple truth of the matter is, Father Time is undefeated. Yep. There are there are certain there are certain truths in the world, and at 36 years old, it is uh, challenging even for the healthiest players in the world to to keep up with the top of the game. So, uh, with that said, uh, I think we got them all: Quinn, Koa, and Awful. Correct. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about team building, right? Every team has to start somewhere. Every team has to start with a plan. Every team has to start with a list of players that they want to take out and achieve a goal. And at the absolute 30,000-foot view, that goal is the same for every team. Score goals don't get scored on. Win games. Yes. Right? That is the 30,000-foot view of football. We want to take a look at the 10,000-foot view. Right? What is the overall objective of a team, and how do you actually get there? So, Justin, I have a question for you, and that is, what have you seen out of Charlotte FC? With one season under their belt, what do you look at and go, yeah, obviously they want to score goals. This is how they want to do it. What are they trying to achieve? Well, I mean, I think you have to preface any of this conversation, right, by saying this was a disjointed first season. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you fire your manager 12 games in, and, and it's going to be disjointed. I also think there was a stretch where... Latanzio felt obligated to try and continue MAR style of possession-based play, of ensuring that you retained the ball overall else and, and stepping back from potentially exciting attacking situations because it was riskier. Mm -hmm. And I watched Latanzio's interview with Eric Krakauer. And, and by the way, quick shout out to uh, Lloyd Sam and Eric Krakauer, the broadcast team, who I don't think are going to be back either. Um, that's not a Charlotte FC thing. That's a MLS with Apple TV Plus thing. But disappointed to not hear those guys uh, going forward because Krakauer was talking to Latanzio. And, you know, Latanzio admitted that uh, as the season progressed with him as the interim manager, he wanted to play a style that he was more familiar with, a style that was a little bit more attacking. And so we kind of had three phases to this team of MAR, where the players are, for better, for worse. Like they seemed more disappointed, more upset in that system, and it was very possession-based. Then you had the middle of the season under Latanzio, where it was still very possession-based, but it looked like the players were getting happier. And then you get the end of the season, where it became more attacking, where where some personnel changes were made. Swiderski drops back into the, the 10. Um, we play a little bit more aggressive. We play a little less concerned about possession. And I think that that's where Latanzio wants to see this team going forward now that he's dropped the interim tag. So it was disjointed, but at the end of the season, it was trending in the right direction. And it was trending in a direction that I, as a football fan, like because I like attacking soccer. Like, I like attacking football. I want to see players pushing forward. I want to see maybe some risky passes, and I want to see the opportunity for goals. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to agree with you for the most part here. Uh, there was a string there at the end of games where uh, I think I referenced it in one of our earlier podcasts that three matches in a row, we made something like 2.6 XG. Um, and obviously that doesn't reference, you know, what the other team did to us. Although I think we did, like, solidly by the advanced metrics win all of those games. But, like, three in a row, we suddenly went out and instead of making, like, 0.4 XG, I mean, you know, for those of you not familiar with the metrics, basically no real attempt at goal. Instead of just relying on Carol Swiderski to, to magically hit a low percentage shot all of the sudden we were getting like three shots for Carol Swiderski. We were getting four shots for 
uh, Daniel Rios. We were getting six shots on Andre Shinoshiki. We were getting, oh, maybe not six on Andre Shinoshiki. He if he'd played 90, he would have gotten six. <laughs> if he played 90, he would have gotten 80. Um, <laughs> that's not true. I mean, I think one thing we can say is Andre Shinoshiki is a guy who wants to get the ball and shoot. There's no luck. Yeah. He wants immediate shots. But we were getting shots, and we were getting them spread out across the team. Kamal Yazwiak is still, in my opinion, um, and cursed is not the right word. He he's, Unlucky. Yeah, he suffered a great indignity in that the effort he put forward in the last season did not result in a goal for him. Yeah. Because I think he more than earned one, but he was out there getting shots. He was giving assists. All of a sudden, we had this attacking flow that I also really like. And I'm the type of person who I think the best sort of style of a football team is I want a super high coordinated press. I want, you know, technical, highly skilled players in the midfield who can break open a a setup defense. I want strong, big, fast defenders in the back who are happy to take the -the over-the-top duels. Uh, those of you who are familiar with my preferences in the Premier League, this will not surprise you in any way, shape, or form. But while I do believe that this is the best football in the world, I don't know that it's it, it takes such a such an incredible amount of players who can play two positions or players who have weird you know physical attributes that are just dumb luck. You know, it's what genetically you're born with. I don't know if that game is possible. And so what I have started to like seeing is I have liked seeing transition ball from the midfield. Not transition ball from our defense, transition ball from the midfield. Getting players who are willing to put in the work and win the ball back in the midfield and then immediately take one kind of risky maneuver to to get the ball up for a chance to be taken because that's just enough space to draw them out of their half put the pressure on, take the ball back, and then just sort of poke one through and get an, get a shot, get an attempt. And if you do enough of those, you're going to score. And it seems to be a fairly reliable way to be turning over attempts on goal. And one thing I have to admit is a big part of that strategy is Carol Swiderski moving into the 10. So I have differing opinions. I guess the question I'm going to ask you here. Uh, Justin is the absolute you know best teams in the world suffocate their opponents. I mean, not just do teams go into playing the Real Madrids and the Manchester Cities and now the Arsenals. You'll be proud of that. Um, not only do teams go into them feeling like they've lost before they even kick the ball, they never touch the ball. They never see the other side of the pitch. They're just constantly pressed into their own box until, well, until they're picked apart and fall apart. Is it reasonable to try and replicate that style of football in the MLS? I don't think that it is. And and the reason why, from my perspective, is... I think the MLS is still we're, – we're a decade-plus behind the world game a little bit in, in that I think a lot of the – pressing the midfield, taking the ball back and, and driving only works if you're encountering a lot of teams that are playing for an extended period of time in the midfield when, yep. when you have the opportunity to get on them and press them. I don't see a ton of that in MLS play. I see a lot of, you know, we're going to kind of knock it long. We're going to see yeah. if a winger can get onto it. And so, you know, I think you need a little bit different uh, in, in MLS uh, for the most part. I think you're starting to see some of that transition come in as more technically proficient midfielders come in. Mm-hmm. As you start seeing some of the guys that, you know, whether it's, the players that Toronto SC have purchased, but whether it's some of those midfielders in Cincinnati or, or in Philly, whether or not it's, uh, you know, Ricky Pouge in, in L.A., somebody like that, you know, you're starting to see that that more technically proficient. But I think the, the preponderance of the play is still an over-the-top, uh, not quite route one, yep. but 
but you're root, looking root two. Like, <laughs> well, you're looking to release to a winger that is running in behind, that is going to buy the time for the rest of your offense to to take the step forward to get into position. So I have a question for you that maybe is just something I have seen. I have not seen MLS tilt fields that much. And for those of you not familiar with what I am talking about, it is not uncommon for uh, football teams to basically take their stronger side of the field and not abandon the other side, but they'll set up in a way where defensively one side is more secure and the other side then allows it allows it to move up further and attack more. And we saw a little bit of this out of Charlotte FC and I haven't really seen it sort of executed efficiently in the MLS yet, where you overload, you get three people sort of up on the left side, and you, you create those triangles that destroy defenses. One of the, the thoughts that I have come to is the two-position player is, is the new player, right? Like if any young player out there wants to know how to become a professional soccer player, the first thing I would tell them to do is start in one position that you don't like learn that as best as you can for three years and then go learn another position because the best players in the world all effectively cover two positions and part of it is freak supernatural athletic ability like we have to be honest about what it is right but we don't just look at defenders anymore and say they have to be positionally aware we don't just look at them and say hey you have to be able to tackle effectively now we're saying hey you have to be able to race you have to be able to run back and win duels. And now we're saying, hey, when you tackle, you can't go to the ground. You have to be able to stand up and tackle. You also have to be strong in the body. And then we're telling them they have to go up in the air and win the aerial duels as well. And then we're telling them that when they get the ball, we then want them to use their dribbling ability, dribble it past two players, even though they're in the most dangerous position on the field, and pass it 25 yards cross diagonal ball out to a wing. And if you can't do all of that, you're not going to be a top-tier defender in really any professional league anymore. The same thing is happening across the other positions as well. What is your opinion on, on sort of the two-position player or the multi-skill player, and do what does Charlotte need to take advantage of this? I mean, everybody wants that, right? But the MLS is always going to be a league where players are learning that, mm -hmm. or they're at the other end of the spectrum and their skills at one of those positions are starting to fade a little bit. You know, we, <laughs> we will saw, not mention names yet. Well, I mean, I will. Uh, I we, will not mention names. Justin we, will. We saw it to a, a certain extent with Christian Fuchs mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, the guy spent a long time, you know, sort of in that center back, left back. He was able to play the left side of a back three, things like that. He had the passing range. He had the ability. He also still had the pace and the physicality to, to you know, stay in and challenge and defense. He's at the back end of his career, unfortunately. He's been a great player for a very long time. The, the pace and the ability defensively was starting to fade. The passing was still there. The passing was absolutely still there. Um, God, he was technically insane, wasn't he? You, you also look at, at younger players. You know, we didn't get a ton of opportunity to see him, but you know, I think if you look at Adam Armour, I think if you look at somebody we did get a chance to see, Mackenzie Gaines, you see them, you know, they've got a piece of the game. They've got a piece of the game that's very difficult to teach, for, especially for those two guys, in just the pure pace. Mm -hmm. MLS is the league where you develop the other pieces. So I think asking players in MLS right now to be effective two-way players, I think if you see them playing that way, if you see them being effective that way, Tati Castellano in, in NYCFC, mm -hmm. you see them moving to Europe. Tati Castellano in <laughs> NYCFC. NYCFC. I, I will be honest with you. I think if you want to win an MLS league, I think you need at least two of them. And they may not have to be world-changing level multi-positional players, but I, I think you need at least two people who can really at a high level cover. And, I mean, if you look at it, we even kind of had it in our first season, right? You talked about Christian Fuchs, who they clearly attempted to do this with. Yeah. And then you look at what they did with Carol Swiderski, moving him into the midfield, where they said, hey, you're going to be our number 10, but you're also going to have to go get strikes on goal. And I won't be shocking anyone to say that I wasn't a big fan of Carol Swiderski as striker, but I have to be, like, I will always come to the table with honesty. And I can say, Christian Latanzio looked at Carol Swiderski and went, hey, I want you to be the connecting ball. 
I want you to be the diagonal passer. I want you to be able to receive the ball with your back to goal. I want you to be able to shoot on your right and left foot. I want you to be able to make early runs into the box. I want you to be able to make late runs into the box. And I want you to get four shots a game from the number 10 position. Yeah. And to Carol Swiderski's credit, what he said was, all right, boss, I got you. Well, like, we you need can, that. You can also look, you know, I think at the the sort of the, at the MLS level for that. Brent Bronico did that in the midfield. Absolutely. You know, did. shuttling between the six and the eight, playing both of those positions effectively. And, and really, especially later in the season when he was deployed at the eight, transitioning between them in the match. If I may, I, I feel uh, I am sad that I didn't use Brant to start with because Brant did this for significantly longer than yeah. But, you know, this is why I have you here. You, um, you help center me. I would also argue that the player who is doing that most effectively on the upswing at a young age and potentially on that path to Europe is Adelson Melanda, who has the center back position pretty well nailed down and is really kind of learning that ability to step into the midfield and, you know, play almost like a six would in terms of dispossessing and then passing out. See, I'm going to heavily disagree with you here, Justin. I think that anyone who has watched Adelson Melanda, especially scouts from Europe who are listening to this, <laughs> all those scouts from Europe would definitely agree that Adelson Melanda could never play for an, uh, an English or a Spanish or an Italian side and that he needs to stay right here in Charlotte FC for as, as long as uh, we will keep paying him. If, I <laughs> if he keeps progressing, he will be gone in a couple of years. It and hurts, It will hurt, it? but uh, and it he, will also feel great because we will see... That, that the world sees Charlotte FC as a place where players can really come and effectively develop. That's true. And, you know, one of the things that we also have to say about Alison Melanda is he's still a very young man. He looked v- incredibly promising for what we have seen of him yeah. so far. We've seen him for, like, a quarter of a season or a yeah. third of a season. Like, we actually don't have that much data on him yet. But but we're he, super excited. But, uh, I mean, yeah, we're definitely not out over our ski tips in any way, shape, or form. So I guess the question I have for you, Justin, is if this team is going to become you know, this image we have in our minds of how the team effectively gets to where we're going, what positions need to be filled? Well, so I think the, the most obvious one that jumps out is left back has got to be improved. Yeah. Joseph Mora is not the guy. Adam Armour might be the guy, but Adam Armour, I think same age as Adelson Melanda. We're, we're talking about young guys. Armour's going to be coming back from, from that knee injury, from the, the ACL and everything. And, I think in the short term, you've got to find somebody better than Mora that can come in. You know, that scouting department needs to go back out and find the left-footed Nathan Byrne. You know, the... the left. <laughs> just give up, just clone Nathan Byrne, but make him left-footed. Yeah, can we clone him, in like, but mirror the whole thing? Um, is, is that when you when you put him in the cloning machine? Do you yeah, just, like, hold you just, a mirror up so no, he just, can see the You just turn him backwards. You just turn him backwards, and then you run the cloning thing. No. Um, but but we need someone better than Mora that can make armor better, that can challenge armor for the position, and can provide pace and defensive capability. I don't necessarily need those backs to provide a lot of the crossing right now. It's a bonus if they can cross it into the box for us. Mm-hmm. But what I do need from that side that Joseph Moore wasn't able to, to give us this season is the ability to get back and cover defensively first. And second, the ability, uh, the endurance, the pace to get forward to provide the passing partner for our left wing. Camel we spent too much time isolated this season mm-hmm. when he got uh, deployed on the left. And if he just had a partner to play little one-twos with, Kamal Yazwe could be incredibly dangerous, but Joseph Moore is not that partner. Yeah, I, I don't think Joseph Moore is that partner either, and I do think that the one you bring forward first, the left back, is the the biggest place that needs to be addressed. I tend to... So we talk about like what our ideal teams are, and for me, uh, and again, I, I have beloved teams who have been very successful with this, so I have some biases, and I, I try to remember my biases, but... Uh, that doesn't mean I don't feel that way, right? I I like seeing a team with young, hungry, dedicated players who love the badge and want to go out there and prove that, 
you know, whether they're at Charlotte Football Club for the rest of their life or whether one day they have aspirations of playing at Real Madrid, that every minute on that pitch is special to them. And as much as I hate to say this, I don't see that in Joseph Mora. <laughs> um, I, I don't. I, and, you know, I struggle to see it in Harrison Awful. And that's not to say that either of these players are, are bad people or they didn't love Charlotte or they weren't dedicated to the club. These are players who are on their way out, right? They've done their, they've, they've gone through their grind. They've gone through their dedication and, and working extra hard to figure it out. They're now on their, I, uh, there's a saying in football that I really like, and that's you've, you never arrive, right? You're never there. No matter how mm-hmm. good you get, you are always thinking about how you get better. When we had Brant Bronico on this microphone, one of the questions I asked him is, you're an MLS professional level player. What are you working on to get better? What's your current thing that you're working on? And he had an answer. I didn't give him that piece of that question in advance. He was like, yeah, no, here's the thing I do every day because I could be better at it. Joseph Mora and Harrison Offal didn't seem to have that. Young, hungry players, the Adam Armors, the Jalen Lindsays, the Ben Benders, the Adelson Milandas, when they step out on the field, you are watching them devour skills. You're watching them just consume skills. And I personally think the better approach to building a squad, especially at the MLS level, where you know you can't go out and, and get the Kareem, Kareem Benzema's and and monsters of the game is find the young, hungry players who do one or two things really, really well and then see if they go out there and devour the rest of the skills and become the next thing. Uh, So, you know, if we're talking about left back, I would honestly want to see, not to clone Adam Armour, but I don't know that I would want a Nathan Byrne. And this comes in from me actively loving how Nathan Byrne plays for us. I mean, you you now know I'm Mm -hmm. a huge Nathan Byrne defender. Um, because he's a defender. Haha, <laughs> I made it funny. Uh, the, I probably would want to see on that left side, especially because Kamal's there, I would want to see another young, hungry, maybe a different skill than Adam, maybe not necessarily a speed merchant, but, you know, somebody who comes in with a good defensive record and a great, a really, really special passing ability. Um, and see, for lack of a better statement, who eats who. Yeah. Right? Uh, because I think it'll make it better for Charlotte in the long term. Uh, I am going to move on yeah. to, uh, is there another position you'd like to see, maybe maybe see something different in? Uh, there is, and and this will be painful to Josh, I think. But uh, I think we could improve on Danny Rios at the striker <laughs> position. I, I definitely thought I knew where you, where you were going with that, nope. and I I did not. No, nope. um, but you're right. Josh is rolling over in what is now clearly his grave because that question <laughs> that uh, statement will have will have murdered him in cold blood. Here's the thing. Apparently, the club does not see Andre Shinyashiki as a striker. I don't think the club sees Andre Shinyashiki. I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, we won't get into Andre Shinyashiki. I don't understand it, but. Uh, uh, if what we are looking for is the big target man, I think we could find someone with a little bit more pace and with a little little bit more technical ability with the ball at his feet. Um, just a little bit better in most facets of the game than Daniel Rios is. Um, and, and I think that the club would need that to really take the, the step to the next level. It, even if Rios stays around, like I said, we apparently don't see Shinyashiki as a striker. Rios is the only guy then, unless you're going to shift Swiderski back up front, and we've talked about how we don't particularly care for Cal Swiderski at the top of the pitch. I will say, so I do think that another option at striker is, I think, a good idea. Um, I think a... a a pacey, hungry goal merchant, and I realize that everybody wants a pacey, hungry goal merchant. They don't just, you can't just like go out on the street and find one of these. But I mean, if we look down the bench at number 16, we might find one of those. Hey, you know what? I, I'm, I'm not going to make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> we, have to, we have to keep friends here. Um, uh, no, my, my kind of statement for this is yes, I think that's a critical element. I don't know that it's going to get addressed. 
I have a sneaking suspicion that something that might get addressed is we might get in another sort of offensively oriented midfielder. And the reasoning is going to be, hey, Carol, it didn't work with the club you had before. We still believe in your talent. We still believe that you can be the guy who drives this team into the future. But we weren't getting you the service. You know, you don't have to, to be an analyst to see that Carol Swiderski made a lot of good runs that he didn't get seen on, right? The best connector to Carol was Ben Bender, and the we didn't see a ton even out of that. Maybe they think, what if Carol goes back up top? What if we bring in another 8-10 type of guy who who gives us more options and maybe one of the two, you know, whether it's Nuno or whether it's that, you know, new player X creates some real chemistry with Carol Swiderski. I don't know. I, I struggle with how we're actually going to solve that lack of goal threat from the middle problem. I find it interesting that you of all people don't see the solution to that being Ben Bender coming back in, oh. in the eight or the 10 with Nuno. I absolutely see that. I just, uh, I am aware that, again, I'm aware of my biases, <laughs> and I would do that in a heartbeat. I just don't think that Christian Latantio is going to do it yet. I think that, you know, my defense of Ben Bender has been his, he is showing the work to improve. He's devouring the defensive thing, right? He doesn't have it yet, but every time he goes out, he looks like he's gaining those skills. I don't think he's there. Um I, I'm, who knows, maybe by the time this next season comes around, he's another year older, he's another year wiser, he's hit the gym a little bit. He's got a whole offseason in a particular coach's style. That's true, he does have a whole offseason in the style, and he has a whole offseason to work with Carroll, if that is going to be the thing. And we did see their connection work well for both sides. I mean, I think Carroll has two assists to Ben Bender, and I think Ben has three to Carroll. I think it might only be one from Carroll to Ben, but I'm not 100% sure on that. S- something like that. But it's, yeah. it's probably the highest goal-scoring connection we have in the team. And y- you can argue that they did that in, what, 25% of the playtime? <laughs> um, <laughs> they weren't in the yeah. team together that much. So uh, I do think you know we sort of move on from this. I think one of the things we can agree on is w- the left back probably needs addressing. Yes. And one way or another we're going to have to figure out how to get that higher number of shots more effectively. Yeah. And whether that's whether that's like a new signing players or whether that's actually new signing players, uh, I, I think it has to be addressed. So you have a game that you have asked me to play. Yeah. And I will be very honest with you. I actually don't know a ton about what it is. So you guys are getting all this live. So... The biggest event in international football is starting this weekend. The World Cup... Wait, Arsenal's not playing. (laughs) They are not. Uh, And that should tell you something about where Arsenal sits in the tiers of biggest events in football. (laughs) Uh, The World Cup begins this offseason. It's at a weird time of year. They're playing in Qatar uh, in the Middle East, which means they've shifted out of a normal summer window and into the very odd winter window either in the middle of all of the European leagues all of our favorite teams are not playing right now as they have released a bunch of their players um kicks off this weekend uh this Saturday Qatar and Ecuador play the first match Monday uh the U.S. men's national team plays its first match uh two o'clock eastern time for those of you in Charlotte Charlotte FC is hosting a watch party at Romare Bearden Park um I'll be there uh you know uh, I would highly encourage everyone to be uh, Throwing it back to the beginning, a good chance to uh, <laughs> meet Justin and ask about what happened in the intro. Absolutely. Uh, uh, very excited to start seeing the, the U.S. men's national team play. But there are eight groups of international teams that play at the World Cup. And you have no idea who those are. Um, you have a vague passing knowledge of who some of the players for some of those teams might be. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to go through all eight groups. I'm going to read you the four teams. And for those listeners who don't know, uh, the the way the group stages work are each team plays each other team in the group once. So there's three games uh, for each team in each group phase. Um, You get three points for a win. You get one point for a draw, zero points for a loss. The two teams with the highest point total after those games 
move on into the knockout phase. They they move on into single elimination. And so I I don't I you know I want to put this out here because Justin has I think accidentally been very clever. Um, I am not uh, you know I, I love the two leagues that I I really dedicate a lot of time to watching, but I haven't actually watched that much world football. So you're probably getting about the average watcher of world football's opinions here. So uh, well done, Justin. Yeah, this will be fun. <laughs> oh, I'm, so I'm, I'm going to make such you, bad decisions. I'm going to give you the four teams in each group. And right. just based on the countries and what you might know about maybe some of the players who play for some of the more famous guys. Like if I say France, you're going to know players who are going to be on the French side. I know one or two of them, yes. Um, But, you know, if I say Ecuador, you may not know any of those guys. Yeah. So... I just want to give you the four teams in each group, and I want you to tell me which two teams you think make it out of that group. So group A, first group, the host country always gets into the World Cup. So in group A, you have Qatar, uh, you have Ecuador, you have Senegal, and you have the Netherlands. Which two of those four countries make it out of that group? Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands. Um, I mean, I, I know the Netherlands used to be really good. I don't think they still have the same level of firepower. Um, but I'm still going to go Netherlands and probably Ecuador. I think those are the two I would put through. I think that's probably probably a safe bet. There's maybe a chance for Senegal to be an interesting spoiler in that group. Qatar is there as the host country. Interestingly enough, uh, there is a decent chance that a former Charlotte FC player will be in that group. Oh, Alan Franco uh, Alan plays Franco for the for Ecuadorian Ecuador, national team. Yeah. Um, group go B. Get him, go get him, Alan Franco. Yeah. Uh, group B. So every time a World Cup is announced, people sort of collectively decide this is what's called the group of death. Oh, yeah. The group of death being the group where mm, a bunch of pretty good teams got drawn in together. Only two of them can make it out. Group B is England. Iran, Wales, and the United States. Okay. Um, there is too much international talent on England. I realize that England, and again, I say I haven't watched that much world football. I've watched a little bit. I realize that England hasn't exactly performed on the world football stage recently, but there is too much international talent at England to assume they're going to drop out in in this stage, I think England make it, and I think USA probably falls in right behind them. I think that's probably where I am too. Yeah, England, you're right. I, I will say they, they went to the finals of the Euros yep. uh, just a couple of years ago. That's the, the European version sort of of the World Cup. Uh, it's a big deal. They went to the finals. Uh, it was very close, went to penalties. Um, they do have just too much talent to not make it out of this group. And they have, England has attacking talent. As much as it pains me to say it, they do have one of the best center forwards in the world. And uh, it is attacking talent is one of those things that's kind of just a band-aid to all boo-boos in football. Especially at the international stage when teams don't have as much time to practice together. When you have one or two attacking players who can just take the ball and win you the game, yeah, it when is, you, it's such a huge advantage. When you can trot out starting wingers of Bukayo Saka and Marcus Rashford and go do something cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go play and the football. I will say, I think outside of the England squad, the best individual player in this group might be Gareth Bale for Wales. But Could be, yeah, yeah. from Gareth Bale, the next best player on that roster right now, maybe Aaron Ramsey at 30 plus playing for. Oh, yeah. Is Aaron Ramsey going to be playing for Wales? He is. Oh, my gosh. It's so, so. I mean, don't get me wrong. Aaron Ramsey, great player. The but. U.S. men's national team with players like Christian Pulisic from Chelsea, Gio Reyna from Borussia Dortmund, you know, uh, you've got Weston McKinney who's playing at Juventus, you've got Serginho Dest who's playing at Barcelona, you know, their starter, Matt Turner, yep. plays for some small English side. Yep, no um, one would know what that is. But I, I do think that something's slipped the right way. Maybe the U.S. wins this group. You yeah, know, absolutely uh, good. Could England be. draws against Wales because the Welsh are going to be fired up for the England match. Yes. One thing that can absolutely be certain is there are going to, like, maybe no other matches are going to have quite the same level of we're here to kill you as Wales <laughs> playing England. Uh, let's move into Group C. Now we're, we're going to move out of I'm, you I'm have proud, some familiarity. I was going to say, I'm proud of how I've done so far. You've done very well so far. We're moving out of I get, familiarity. I get a gold it's, store. I get a gold star. 
Uh, so now uh, Group C is Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. Oh my gosh, that one's tough. Oh, why would you, why would you do this to me, World Cup organizers? Um, or why would you do this to me, Justin? Uh, oh, I'm doing this because it's funny. <laughs> I, God, that's tough. Okay, Mexico's feisty. They are always feisty. They can always do, they can always cause trouble. Argentina has such a footballing culture. I think Argentina probably finds their way out of this group. I don't know how overwhelmingly powerful their squad depth is right now, but just the the world outrage that will happen in Argentina if Argentina does not make their way out of this group is probably enough to force them out of it. Um, now you got then, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland for the others. Who's the second? I do agree with you. I think Argentina wins this group. So I guess that, so for me, in my mind, it's between Poland and Mexico. And Poland has Lewandowski. Also, Charlotte FC's own. Carol Swiderski. Carol Swiderski. That's right. Um, so I do know that they have incredible attacking talent. I think Mexico is feistier than a lot of the Polish players. Um, did Kamil Jaswiak get pulled up for Poland? No. Okay. Um, and if they're leaving Kamil Jaswiak on the bench, that means they at least have faith that they have a decent winger because Kamil's no joke. It, by speed alone, Kamil's no joke. I think I'm going to go Poland in this one. I, I was going to agree with you. Mexico is sort of, unfortunately for them, but fortunately for me as a U.S. men's national team fan, <laughs> they are on a little bit of a downturn right now. Some of their key players are starting to get a little bit older in some key positions, and so I don't know if Mexico can make it out of this group. Again, all of this stuff can go absolutely nuts. Yeah. Group D, France, Australia, Denmark, Tunisia. Uh we're going to go ahead and say that France is bottom of that table. There's no way France... They probably don't even win a game. Uh, no, France is going to win that group by probably an astounding margin. Uh, even I know that if you look at the, the players on the France team, it's just like looking at an absolute all-star list. It's yep. insane. Um, so you said it was Australia, Australia... Denmark, and Tunisia. Oh, God. So I think I'm going to go really know any big Australian players and Denmark has a good history but I don't know any big players from Denmark at the moment either I think I'm going to go Denmark and the only reason I'm going to say that is I think the world they're in is slightly more competitive than the Australian world well we're we're very Eurocentric apparently but uh, yeah um, I guess I am. by the same token I don't disagree Christian Eriksen I think is starting for Denmark uh, yep. you know they have they've got some Premier League talent. They got some some high level talent. Uh, you know, I just. Well, I, I think, think I think it also helps. Like I said, there is a cauldron in Europe, and these teams have to play each other. Yes. So like these players from Europe end up playing other teams in Europe, and I do think it 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 causes sort of a general you know a rising tide lifts all boats kind of sense. I'll be interested to see if that carries through into Group E. Oh, because I feel I'm like I'm not going to pick anyone from Europe and Group well, B, am I? <laughs> actually, I kind of feel like this might be the easiest place to be Eurocentric because this particular group is Spain. Oh yeah, Costa Rica, okay, Germany, and Japan. Uh, well, Japan's going to win the group. Um, <laughs> I don't have any biases there. Japan is definitely an, an all-star cast. Um, no, you said it's Germany, uh, Japan. Germany, Spain, Japan, and Costa Rica. I don't see how I can count Spain out of that. I also don't see how I can count Germany, even though. I know. It's a rough group for your Japanese boys, but but Spain and Japan are perennial powerhouses at this level. They you mean are Spain still and Germany? Oh, yes. Spain and Germany, sorry. <laughs> Japan, they are still stacked the with talent. perennial powerhouse. Well, I mean, um, the Japanese league is coming up. They do have they some, do have some, some really great players. players, but Spain and Germany are just so stacked in so many places. Yeah, my, my statement here is I don't think Japan has the striking talent. I think Japan plays a really fluid style of game. Mm -hmm. I think they play a very connected game. I don't think they have the guy who's gonna gonna rip the ball and take it into the back of the net. Uh, I'm gonna go Germany and, and Spain. Uh, group F: Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia. Ooh, probably Belgium and Canada. 
Croatia is sneaky are they, good. Are they sneaky good? This. Canada's Canada's got some really good players. I think they're they. I think Belgium is the class of this group. I think Croatia and Canada is. You could kind of toss it up. flip it. I feel like every time I count Canada out of something, they suddenly do well. I mean, whether it's oh, I've never counted Canada out of hockey, <laughs> but like whether it's tennis players or football or whatever it is, every time I'm like, meh, Canada, they're probably decent, but probably aren't going to make it. They always like go and go on a crazy run. So I think I'm going to put Canada in this one. Yeah, but you're going to see Croatian players like Luka Modric, Ivan per- uh, Ivan Perisic, uh, Dejan Lovren, Mateo Kovacic. How old is Luka Modric now? Uh, is he I mean, 40 yet? Not old enough to be bad. <laughs> That's, that, is, that is a factual statement. Yep. Uh, uh, so, I, I mean, I, this is a really difficult one. I think, I, I think Belgium, Belgium takes it, but, but I could see an argument for Canada. I could see an argument for Croatia. Yeah, um, it could also be that you know, these guys don't have to play this way for a whole season. Yeah. And so Croatia, maybe in that shorter format, they really go after it, and, and, and they play really well. I mean, a slip with only three games in the group, a player slipping and conceding a goal when you wouldn't expect it to can change the entire group. True story. Uh, group G, Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. Uh, I'm going to go Brazil tops that group. <laughs> um, I think, uh, you know, I'll be really honest with you, I think maybe the only team that can challenge Brazil is France. Um, you know, I, yep. do, I do think there are some other very good teams out there, but... Uh, if we end up seeing a, a France and Brazil final for this World Cup, I will have exactly zero surprise. Yep. Um, I think Brazil tops that group, and you said the other ones were... Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. I think Switzerland. Um, my my statement on Switzerland is that uh, they have one ridiculously, like, the same every-time midfielder in Granite Xhaka... Yep. And you have seen his resurgence recently. He's starting to score now. Um, I think that just having a couple of players in the Switzerland team that are super reliable in yep. in a game where things can can go up and down really quickly, I think that reliability of Switzerland is probably going to bring him through. Uh, partnering him likely in the midfield, uh, an MLS player, uh, Jordan Shakiri, yep. uh, for Chicago Fire, uh, will be there in the midfield with with Granit Xhaka. So. Um, I think much much like Croatia, I think there's an opportunity maybe for Serbia to do some interesting things. I think that the chalk picks here are Brazil to win the group and Switzerland to to move into second. But again, and and again, the gulf between Brazil and Switzerland is massive. Yeah. Like the Brazilian squad, the second Brazilian eleven would probably still beat Switzerland most days. That's that is a stacked squad for Brazil. Yeah. Um, last group, Group Final H, group. Uh, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and the South Korean Republic. Oh, man. Actually, this one is kind of tough. Um, Ghana has some good players. Uruguay has some good players. I would say this is a little more difficult for a different reason than other groups where – because, like, this is a group where it's there's so much parity. There's not necessarily – I think years ago you would have said Portugal – I think Portugal's problem is they are going to build around a player who is not actually super good anymore. Yeah, they're going to build. Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, they're going to build around a player like this other small club in <laughs> Europe did for a while. Um, One season. Yeah. One um, season he came back to us. I, I, I do think they're going to build around Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm going to be really honest with you. I think Cristiano Ronaldo in a tournament format is probably going to be enough to get it done. Um, like I said, having that guy who who scores goals, and I want to be perfectly clear, at this point in time, especially with his recent interviews and stuff coming out, I mean, that guy literally just lit a torch paper and burned Manchester United (laughs) to the ground. Like, I can't imagine there are a lot of people who still side with that guy on anything, but whether I like it or not, he can just score you a goal out of nothing. And in a tournament format, it's probably going to be enough. So I'm going to go Portugal, and then I think I'm going to go Uruguay. I think that's probably fair. Uruguay is going to bring a lot of talent to this. Uh, you know, they're they're bringing some veteran players like Luis Suarez and Edinson Cavani. They're bringing some some younger, especially attacking talent, in, in like Darwin Nunez for for Liverpool. Um, I think that they could do very well. Yeah, um, they're a good team. I think that South Korea has some sneaky good players on there. I think the. 
what would be very interesting is, is, is to is see. Is Hyungman Son back? He's going to play. He's going to he's going to mask. He, he he broke his orbital bone, but he's going to mask and play for the World Cup because if you can limp your way out there, you play for the World Cup. Yeah, and let's be honest, he he is a threat. I, there is an interesting world in this multiverse of possibilities where Uruguay and South Korea are the sides that move on, <laughs> and Portugal misses the pass. That is, uh, uh, you said it's Uruguay and South Korea. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm going to stick with my, my statements, though. And If the, Cristiano Ronaldo is as poor for Portugal as he has been for, for Manchester United this season, Portugal won't move on because they won't score goals yeah, because he can't true. find the back of the net. That is absolutely true. Uh, that's it. How did I do? No, I, I mean, uh, I, I will say that I don't disagree much with your picks. Heck yes. Um, I think for somebody who, who, you know, doesn't necessarily pay a lot of attention to international football and... You know, if we talk about the the U.S. men's national team, um, I don't know how many of those players you could name right now. But uh, <laughs> I probably can't name the full starting eleven. Uh, uh, but you know, I think it's interesting for for you know, especially fans of Charlotte FC who may not be more uh, in tune with sort of world football and the international sport and everything like that. As we move into the World Cup, it's one of those things that gets a lot of energy around it every four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and in between those four years, I think the majority of the people who watch kind of, they take a step away from it during the qualification phases and everything like that. And so they don't necessarily know the players. So really quick, because there's something we're going to have to address here. All right. And that is for anyone who does not know, uh, this world cup is politely spoken, a giant cluster. Yes. Um, there are a lot of things surrounding the world cup that are world health issues. Um, there are a lot of things surrounding the World Cup that are atrocities. Yes. Um, we, as podcasters for the great game of football, would be blind to not at least acknowledge what is going on here. Uh, you and I get on microphones once or twice, sometimes three times a week, and we talk about football. So we're probably going to talk about football in the upcoming World Cup. We're yes. probably going to talk about what happens in these games. Uh, if you are someone who has decided not to watch this World Cup, if you are someone who has decided not to attend this World Cup, if you are someone who has seen the atrocities around it and said, well, I cannot support this, you know, we want you to know that is that is a, a totally understandable choice. Uh, this World Cup is, is coming from a very, very strange place in the world. And uh, I, I think it's right that we make a comment on, yeah. because while we obviously have no say of what happens there, uh, I, I don't think it's right to completely ignore it. No, I mean, Qatar is not a good country. I think they obtained the the hosting privileges. In There there was a lot of bribery and corruption around FIFA around the time that they were awarded this World Cup. Um, there have been rampant newspaper reports around the number of workers who have died. Qatar has made no secret of its disdain for the LGBT community. And all of those things are terrible. And uh, I absolutely understand anyone who cannot stomach the idea of watching this World Cup. I, I understand that and I accept that. I, I want to see the U.S. men's national team play. I am going to be much more excited about the World Cup in four years when the hosting countries are Mexico, Canada, and these United States of America. <laughs> much, much better options. Uh, so... With all of that said, we are going to begin to wrap it up there. That one actually went a little bit long, which if you had talked to us beforehand, there's no <laughs> way we would have believed. Uh, so as ever, if you have chosen to spend your time with us, we love you. Thank you so much for spending that time with us. And we will talk to you again after other things happen in the world of football. Goodbye. Queen City Podcast Network.com. 